Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey everyone and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host Heather and this episode is going to be a lengthy one. Last episode you learned all about the shade that Chris was up to as he buried his entire family and tried to go on with his life as if he was a concerned husband. But this week you'll learn how this didn't just come out of nowhere. I want to walk you through the months leading up to the murders of Shanann, Bella, Cece, and baby Nico. Not only will their history surprise you, it's also going to prove that a lot of what we've been told is fact, honestly just isn't. Fast forward through the small talk, and here we go. Shanann was actually married once before. The two were young and in love back in North Carolina, and he was a freaking lawyer. They got married in 2003, but their marriage circled the drain in 2008 when they finally decided to file for a divorce. Little did either of them know that she would become a victim in one of recent history's most infamous murders just 10 years later. Even though the relationship didn't work out, her ex-husband really didn't have anything negative to say about her. In fact, he described her as super likable and that making friends came really easily to her. He said that when things started going downhill, that she would just distance herself and shut down and bury herself into work. They tried counseling, but Shanann was actually the one who was too shut down to be able to communicate well enough to save their marriage. This seems to be a trait that she worked on fixing because when it comes to Chris, she definitely seems to be more assertive and at times even confrontational. While married to her ex-husband, Shanann took out a $250,000 to $500,000 life insurance policy on herself. Her ex assumes that when she left him, she changed the beneficiary. So on top of the $20,000 that they had on each girl and the $50,000 to $100,000 life insurance policy she had and the other one she had taken out through a family member, it looks like Shanann had a third life insurance policy on herself. Debt was a huge factor of turmoil between Chris and Shanann. And I'm sure paying on up to six life insurance policies each month was a burden in and of itself. Honestly, taking these payments away would lift a huge burden off of them, but it would be a huge payday if, say, everybody disappeared but Chris. Shanann was a red-blooded American woman, so she had naturally done some creeping on her ex-husband's new wife, which I'm pretty sure we've all done at some point. And it turns out that she also joined Thrive at some point, but didn't do that well. At least not as well as Shanann did, bringing in just under a hundred grand each year, and I think that gave her a little bit of a confidence boost. In 2010, Shanann and Chris started dating. We know that they met on Facebook, and she fell in love with him after she took a three-hour lap nap on their third date. 
By 2011, Chris proposed, and in 2012, they were married. Just one year later, with the help of fertility treatments, Shanann gives birth to their first child, Bella, who was 100% attached to her mom at the hip. Chris admits that it was hard for him to bond with Bella at first because he had absolutely no idea what he was doing. But two years after that, and another round of fertility treatments later, in 2015, they have a second daughter who they named Cece, and she is 100% a daddy's girl. But the excitement fades as their family settles in, and in 2016, when the couple is drowning in debt, they decide that it's time to file for bankruptcy. This is where it gets interesting, and we're going to hit a lot of different dates along the way, so pay attention. On January 7th, 2018, Kessinger, Chris's quote-unquote future mistress, Googles Shanann Watts. This is six entire months before Chris and her allegedly started dating. Now, Shanann's not a common name, and Kessinger spelled it correctly. And when you Google Shanann, there is no shortage of information that pops up. Even before her murder, her Facebook, her Instagram, everything. So this begs the question, did Kessinger and Chris's relationship start in early June like they said? Or had this been going on way longer than they let on to? Why else would she be Googling the unique name of the wife of the man that she will soon be dating and who will soon kill her and her children? In 2018, January through June, Chris lost a metric butt ton of weight, and I'm talking like 65 pounds. People who knew him said that he had gone from dad bod to hot, and he attributed this weight loss to Shanann's Thrive products and working out in their basement gym. Around that same time, in the early months of 2018, Chris decided that he wanted to have another baby. He hoped this time it would be a boy and they would be able to complete their family. Shanann agreed to having just one more, and boom, they start trying. They don't think anything's going to happen anytime soon because, remember, Shanann had needed fertility treatments to conceive both Bella and Cece, but as all couples do, they start tracking her cycles and shoot for the egg. In March or April of 2018, Shanann goes out with one of her girlfriends to one of those hibachi restaurants, the kind where they light shit on fire and dance with knives and make you sit with strangers. Shanann winds up sitting next to a guy who turns out to be a family attorney, and she starts asking him about divorce and how bad they usually get when they involve kids. The attorney tells her that if there's any saving the marriage, that she should try because divorce gets really ugly really fast. And she even offhandedly mentioned to this random attorney that her husband wanted her to have another baby. Fast forward to May 29th, Shanann takes a video of herself telling Chris that he's going to be a dad for a third time. Chris acts less than thrilled, saying that he guesses if you want something bad enough, it happens. He doesn't even seem to know how to read the pregnancy test that she shows him and asks if the color of the line indicated the sex of the baby. Clearly, his brain was trying not to explode. But let's make this a little more awkward. A few days after finding out Shanann was pregnant with their miracle baby, he was talking with a co-worker and jokingly asked them if they wanted a baby. 
Now, a lot of people have reported that Shanann told Chris that she was pregnant on Father's Day, and that's how it's plausible that Kessinger didn't know about the pregnancy, but that's just not the case at all. Chris had known since late May, and if him and Kessinger are telling the truth, which is a strong if, they started dating a week after he got the news about baby Nico. On June 8th, Chris and Kessinger officially start dating. I say it like that because they hadn't actually gone on a date yet. She says that they met when he introduced himself to her at work and she said he wasn't wearing a wedding ring and that she thought he was super cute. But riddle me how they work together. She's creeped his wife online since January and they magically have an anniversary date from before they ever make it out on a physical date. He's a liar. She's a liar. I have no idea how she's not in jail because I am 100% sure that we still don't have the truth of what actually happened and why. Chris and Kessinger talked every single day. I have no clue how a married man with a job and two kids pulls that off, but the guy was determined to say the least. Kessinger confides in her friend Charlotte that she feels like every guy she meets has kids these days, and if they don't, they have commitment issues. She also says that Chris's kids make her uncomfortable. Now, these are kids that she's never met, so it wasn't his kids who made her uncomfortable. It was the existence of them that she had a problem with. She tells that same friend that she feels like she will always be second place, like he's already been there and done that. Sometime within the next week, Chris tells Kessinger that he's getting separated. New mistress, new baby, who dis? On June 19th, Shanann had her first ultrasound scheduled, but Chris didn't go. He blamed tornadoes in the field on why he couldn't make it, but whatever. In all fairness, there was a tornado, but I don't like him, so I'm wearing my judging pants. On June 22nd, Chris and Shanann hop on a plane and head to San Diego for a Thrive convention. Chris wears matching shirts with the other Thrive husbands. They dance, have a good time, and enjoy yet another vacation courtesy of Shanann's job. While they were traveling and Chris was actively playing the role as prideful husband, Chris officially adds Kessinger as a contact in his personal phone, but like any cheating husband, he doesn't put her contact in as her actual name. He adds her in under the alias of APC Health Safety Environmental. How romantic. Less than 10 days later, from June 27th to August 7th, Shanann and the girls head to North Carolina and stay with both hers and Chris's parents. For weeks one through five, Chris stays at home and works. Oh, and he dates the shit out of his lady friend Kessinger. As a matter of fact, Chris and Kessinger finally start going out on actual dates. I suppose that's a lot easier when your wife is across the country. The first week of Shanann's North Carolina trip, her and Chris were having all sorts of phone sex. Prior to the trip, they couldn't keep their hands off of one another, so the distance was naturally causing some sexual tension. Shanann actually told her friend that before she left, they were having sex three times a day. Good lord, who has time for that? You'll remember that in Chris's polygraph interrogation, he mentions that they rarely had sex and the last time they had been intimate was when they conceived their son. Turns out, Chris lies about literally everything. I know you're shocked. On Kessinger's birthday, July 3rd, 2018, Chris writes her a card, which, by the way, he does a lot. And these cards look like kindergarten crafts, like something you would make at a children's museum. It's really weird and ransom notey. Anywho, 
In the note he wrote in her birthday card just a month and some change before killing his family, he writes that big things will happen this year. Dreams will come true. A day later, on July 4th, still early in their North Carolina trip, Chris calls Shanann and they talk for about 20 minutes. The next day, they talked on the phone for 30 minutes, and on the 6th, they talked to each other all throughout the day. Three minutes here, 11 minutes there, three minutes here, eight minutes there. The point here is that they're talking regularly. On July 7th, Kessinger calls Chris's personal phone for the first time, so that August 13th communication was not the first time that she had called his personal phone. Their logs are broken down by phones assigned to evidence numbers, so I went back and matched them up, and it does look like this July 7th communication is to his personal phone and the first one of many, which, by the way, will soon be deleted. Chris's parents had never been huge fans of Shanann, but when I say his parents, I mostly just mean his mom. She thought Shanann was controlling, narcissistic, and even bipolar. She blamed her for any and all of her and Chris's marital issues. Chris had always played second fiddle to his sister, and even though he was the black sheep, Chris's mom blamed Shanann for taking him away from her. Real talk, the hate was so real that his parents didn't even go to their wedding. On July 9th, the ice cream incident goes down. While visiting Chris's mom, his mom gives all four grandkids some ice cream that had nuts in it. Shanann caught it just in time and took the ice cream away from Cece, who was only two at the time, and obviously upset. Anyone who's ever taken ice cream from a two-year-old probably has some lasting wounds. Chris's mom thought Shanann was making shit up about Cece being allergic and told Shanann that she coddled the children, and when Shanann asked why she would do that, his mom essentially told her that it was a life lesson that Cece needed to learn that you don't always get what everyone else does. Before heading to North Carolina, Shanann had actually written up a list and given it to Chris's parents of peanut-free foods that they could get for the girls before they got there, so at this point she's wondering why she had even gone through the trouble. As any scorned wife would, Shanann expected Chris to stand up for her and his girls, which led to a text tornado that would never end. She told Chris that he should call his dad and tell him that he didn't appreciate his mom putting his daughter at risk today, and that he didn't appreciate that she teased his daughters, and that it wasn't her place to teach them life lessons about not getting everything they want. Basically, Shanann told him how to stand up for his family and gave him the script on how she wanted him to do it. He told Shanann that he'd call his dad and tell him what he thinks about this and that it wasn't fucking cool because it's the kids and told her he'd set this right. On July 10th, things start to change and Shanann really starts to take notice. She asked if Chris was okay because it was like he didn't want to talk to her and that she felt like she was trying to dig any conversation out of him. Chris lays it on thick and calls her baby and boo and blames work responsibility on him seeming off, and in the end, tells her that he loves her to the moon and back. Shanann isn't having it and told him she missed him and that she felt like all he wanted to do was work out and run. Chris told her that running clears his head and frees it all, whatever the hell that means. He's literally wife and kidless and banging a new girl. Shanann tells him, well, I wish my husband wanted to talk to me. Shanann starts texting her friend Addie that Chris is becoming distant and that he told her that they weren't compatible anymore. Shanann was totally blindsided. He even told her that he didn't want their new baby and that he instead wanted to get a separation. 
She had just gotten pregnant with a baby that he asked for, and now he's dumping this giant pile of dog shit on her. Naturally, Shanann starts regretting this pregnancy, and she absolutely loved her unborn child, but this wasn't the time or the situation that she had anticipated. And you can reference that conversation she had earlier in the year with that family attorney she met at the hibachi restaurant. She already had her reservations prior to trying for this baby. Shanann shares with damn near all of her friends that she's shattered and broken by Chris's behavior and the thought of a separation. It has come totally out of left field, and she doesn't understand why this is happening. While Shanann was in North Carolina, Chris was living his best life with his mistress and even leveled up their relationship. They start going on actual dates where they go to the park, out to restaurants, and even has her over to his and Shanann's house. Now, Kessinger says she was just there to help him figure out how to use MyFitnessPal and that he made her lunch and then she left. But let's be honest, you did need to do all that to tell him how to use an app that he's probably been using for like half a year now. On the weekend of July 14th, Chris and Kessinger go out to the Mustang Museum together in Boulder. And during this day, he has a conversation with her where he says that his marriage isn't about emotions. It's just contractual. And I'd sure like to know what kind of contract that might be. Around lunchtime that day, Shanann called Chris four times, which he ignored. He answered the fifth one and talked to his wife for a minute and a half. Side piece waiting in the wings. A few hours later, Shanann's serial called Chris again and he answered absolutely none of them. When the incessant calls start happening, you know things are doomed and trust has died. On the other hand, Kessinger called him twice that day, and he answered both of those calls immediately, talking to her for 48 minutes on top of having spent the entire day with her. While he was on the phone with Kessinger, and once right after he hung up, Shanann called Chris four more times. He didn't answer a single one of them. Chris actually has no fucks left to give to his pregnant wife. On July 16th, Chris began this pattern of texting Kessinger photos of flowers along his daily routes. She was obsessed with flowers and her photo album in her phone was full of pictures of them. And on this particular day, the picture was a sunflower near his work truck. Let's take a minute to remember that he actually took a photo of a flower on a work site he was at on August 13th, right after burying his entire family. On July 17th, Chris took a picture of those new work boots that he was so proud of, you know, the boots he made sure not to wear on the day he murdered his wife and children. On July 18th, Chris gets his secret calculator app that he hid his nudie pictures of Kessinger and any evidence of their time together. He transfers all of the pictures he has of her, many of which he took, and he does the same thing on July 20th and the 23rd. This app looks like a calculator, and when you open it, it even acts like a calculator, but when you punch in your super secret code, it opens to a private photo album, private contacts, and a private browser everything you need to be a successful cheating bastard. On July 24th, Kessinger sends Chris a naked picture and Googles, man I'm having an affair with, says he will leave his wife. For some reason, Shanann's mom called Chris 12 times that day. 
Not all calls went through, but they spoke collectively for about a half hour. I have no idea what they talked about, but I can imagine it had something to do with the fact that Chris wasn't speaking to his wife. Shanann reaches another level of frustration as Chris seems to be purposefully ignoring her. She tells him, you could have answered or texted back. I thought something happened, but you don't care about others' feelings. Or, I think you're with another girl or worse. You have no consideration for others. I'm legitimately curious what the or worse might have been, but she's clearly got serious suspicions about his fidelity. While Chris is busy not responding to his wife, he's Googling Victoria's Secret as Shanann continues to text him. She tells him, I realize during this trip what's missing in our relationship. It's only one-way emotions and feelings. Remember Kessinger told police that Chris was the only one with emotions or feelings towards Shanann? It's almost like she read this text word for word and then related in opposite fashion. Continuing on. Shanann says, I can't come back like this. I need you to meet me halfway. You don't consider others at all, nor do you think about others' feelings. Chris pulls a real dick move and responds with, sorry, I love you. Step one in pissing off a woman is to send a sentence in response to a paragraph. Shanann's thumbs are locked and loaded, and she kept on, saying, I try to give you space, but while you're working and living the bachelor life, I'm carrying our third and fighting with our two kids daily and trying to work and make money. It's not hard texting love you and miss you. If you don't mean it, then I get it, but we need to talk. I kept looking at my phone all night and got no response from you. Like, seriously, we didn't just start dating yesterday. We've been together eight years and have two and a half kids together. On July 25th, Chris Googles how to save your marriage. Just kidding. He Googles all the details about when it's appropriate to tell someone you love them and how to say it. Miss Kessinger actually called him and left a voicemail while he was on the phone with Shanann, and he immediately called her back when they hung up because priorities. On July 26, Shanann's on the phone with Chris, and while he's pretending to care what she has to say, he's busy transferring naked pictures of Kessinger to the calculator app he uses to hide them from his wife. On July 28th, while Shanann and his daughters are visiting with family in North Carolina, him and Kessinger take a vacation together to the Great Sand Dunes. They camp out at Zapata Falls Campground. While he's there, he takes a video of their tent set up and puts a song in the background of the video called Forever Girl. Some of the lyrics are, Her natural southern beauty, I can't explain what it does to me. You're everything in my whole world, that's my forever girl. Spoiler alert, he's not talking about Shanann. On the 29th, he texts Shanann that he finished up his hike and was packing up to head home, all along, thinking he had taken this trip alone to clear his head. Per usual now, she calls him four times, which he ignores. He's in no rush to call her back, but eventually does get back to her. She later calls twice, which he ignores again, which triggers some more angry texts. I'm assuming you're safe considering it's been three and a half hours. Chris blames a car fire in traffic on why she hadn't heard from him. Unless it's your car that's on fire, you've got nothing but time while you're sitting in traffic. Anyway, they talk for 15 minutes or so, and then she texts him, Sorry you're so tired, but I haven't talked to you in two days, and I had a hard weekend. Glad I have you to talk to, if you care. This seemed to be sarcasm with a little sprinkle of drama. They had talked in the past two days, just not much. And she keeps referencing safety when she doesn't hear from him, like he needs to make sure she knows he's not dead. And... I mean, that's a bit much. Ladies, if you think your man's cheating, just tell him to put his girlfriend on hold for a second and call it like it is. And leave. Just always leave. 
Chris apologizes for being out of it and promises to make it up to her. She tells him that it would have been nice for him to show any interest in how her and the girls are doing, let alone their unborn baby. She says she's done begging him to talk and tells him that she'll see him Tuesday and that he's out of it because he's been playing. Oh, damn, she said it. I've noticed that Chris has a pattern of Googling song lyrics, like he's in high school and in love. He's forever Googling song lyrics to songs that go along with his current mood. He's Googled Forever Girl, Through the Roots, Down to Earth, which, by the way, Chris and Kessinger had designated as their song, Barf, and he also looked up the lyrics to the song Love You Like That. Let me remind you about the song he Googled after disposing of the bodies of his pregnant wife and daughters. It was Battery by Metallica, and I quote, Lunacy has found me, pounding out aggression, cannot kill the family. Chris looks up lyrics to songs that feed his current mood, and his current mood on the 13th was Homicidal Fury. On July 31st, Chris leaves his mistress and new life in Colorado and flies to North Carolina to join Shanann and his girls to finish off their last week of vacation. As he hops on the plane, he texts Shanann that he's on his way and that he loves her, and then he deleted Kessinger's APC Health Safety Environmental contact from his phone to make sure that there was no trace of his affair by the time that the plane landed. This man was on his P's and Q's, you guys. One of the saddest parts about this time is that even though they were going through a tumultuous time in their marriage, Shanann still wanted the world to see their perfect life, so she asked Chris to text her when he got near the escalators at the airport so she could record the girls' reactions to seeing their daddy. Shanann's friend Christina said that Chris had been cold to Shanann in the recent months, that when he got to North Carolina to spend the last week there with them, that he wouldn't kiss or even touch her. Shanann said that when Chris landed, it was like he was a completely different person. Shanann actually wound up getting really sick the day he got there and was in and out of the bathroom with morning slash all day sickness. Anyone who's been pregnant knows what that is. Shanann's brother said that Chris didn't really seem to care at all. He didn't comfort her. He didn't offer her any help. Shanann even wound up sleeping on the couch that night, and Chris never came out even once to check on her. Even though they're not talking or showing any affection, Shanann does text him from her couch bed to set an alarm and come wake her up at 5 a.m. the next morning. Now, obviously, she could have set this alarm herself, but Shanann was doing anything she could to keep Chris involved in any aspect of her life. When police dumped Chris's personal phone, they noted that he made a serious effort to delete a ton of recent communications. For the entire month of July of 2018, there were only three messages available to read. But for January of 2018, you know, when Kessinger was casually Googling Shanann Watts, there were 67 messages available to read. On August 1st, after just a day away from his mistress and less than two months into dating, according to them, he tells Kessinger that he loves her. Shanann posts on Facebook about being sick and blames it on dehydration from being in the South. Her brother thought that was super odd because she'd been drinking water constantly, so he knew she wasn't dehydrated. The two are living completely separate lives in the same house right now. On August 2nd, while spending time with his family, Chris starts taking pictures of Kessinger and putting them into his calculator app. 
He found a way to communicate with Kessinger while he was there, but it wasn't through text. She sent him plenty of nude pictures while he was across the country in the same house as his wife and children, but none of them came in via text message. Shanann's family noticed that Chris, whom they usually described as calm and passive, was getting really aggravated with Cece and Bella while they were in North Carolina. They also noticed that he was unusually cold towards Shanann. During this week, Shanann tells one friend that Chris wasn't willing to go to therapy and tells another that he is. We know from the horse's mouth that he was open to it, but didn't think it would work. Chris said he was tired of Shanann controlling everything and on multiple occasions told different people that he just wanted to be able to hang a picture on the wall without Shanann's input. Come August 3rd, Chris told his friend Jameson that he wanted a divorce, saying he had seen the true side of Shanann and that he was just done. His friend said that he'd never seen Shanann do anything off-center, but he knew that Chris felt like she could be shady, which I'm sure is something his parents had brought up plenty of times in the past. Meanwhile, back in Colorado, Kessinger is Googling Chris Watts. I'm guessing she was trying to creep on his Facebook account and see what he was posting when he wasn't dedicating his time to her. On August 4th, Kessinger Googles wedding dresses for over two hours. Once she's done with this, she Googles both Chris and Shanann's Facebook accounts. Shanann's second-to-last Facebook profile photo is one of her pregnancy announcement where she's wearing a shirt that says, Oops, we did it again. There's a post from June 21st of her wearing a shirt that says, I'm creating a tiny human. What have you done today? She also posts about how Baby Watts wants a steak and cheddar panini. On the 19th, she posts a text between her and Chris about her ultrasound photo where he jokes making sure that they're not having multiples and says that he already loves him or her. Shanann says that he's the best dad us girls could ever ask for. There are 9 billion posts about Shanann's pregnancy on Facebook, and the fact that Kessinger has tried to act like she didn't know about her pregnancy is bullshit in all senses of the word. Kessinger knew the whole time. Period. Point blank. In the middle of the day, while Chris and Shanann are both in North Carolina, Shanann explodes on Chris via text, which had been the choice medium as of late. She says that the truth came out last night and that she didn't create any dagger between Chris and his dad, that that was done by his mom and dad, and that she wouldn't change a thing. She says that Cece's life is more important and that Chris better believe that she wanted to say a lot more to his mother than she did. I heard that. But instead, she says that she was the bigger person, as well as trying to protect Bella. Shanann says that she didn't tell his parents not to come to Cece's birthday party or not to so much as even call her, that she didn't tell his dad to start acting like he only has two grandchildren instead of four. She didn't block his family on Facebook. They did that. I'm summing this up because it's literally a page long typed out, but she tells Chris that he can let his parents tell him whatever they want, but no one told his parents to stop loving their grandchildren. They did that on their own. She says that the only thing she did was advocate for her children because she never wants to hear, sorry, I killed your kid because I was stupid. The kids are my world and I have to protect them from the evil of the world. I shouldn't have to protect them from evil family. The awful foreshadowing here makes me want to crawl into a hole. Shanann accuses Chris's mom of being willing to risk his daughter's life to get under her skin and that he's no different than his dad if he thinks that's okay. She then starts on about their relationship, saying that something changed when she left for North Carolina. She says if he's happier alone, then he can be alone, that he's never acknowledged this pregnancy or how she's feeling, 
She ends this text by telling Chris that she's not the boss of him and that if he wants to hang out with his parents to go ahead, but her and the girls aren't going, and told him not to put it on her as to why he can't go because he's his own person. Chris responds oddly apologetically, saying that the kids mean the world to him and that his mom truly screwed up in a huge way and that he doesn't know what he would have done if anything happened to Cece. I just can't, you guys. Chris says that the kids are the light of his life and their incredible smiles and playfulness makes his day every day. He apologizes for the way he's been acting, that he's been in his head and hasn't been right. He acknowledges that Shanann protected Cece and he thanks her a million times over and that his parents want to be in the kids' lives, they just don't know how. He says they should have swallowed their pride and just come to Cece's birthday and shouldn't have blocked Shanann on social media. Shanann comes back with fire and tells him that if they want to be in the kids' lives, they need to make the effort. She tells Chris to move back home to North Carolina where he isn't appreciated like he was when they first met. She says no one ever protected him from his mom and someone should have done it before she came along. She says that him not standing up for his wife and children isn't cool and goes on about them ruining things and then says something super weird. I'm the one who takes care of you, not them, and tells him if he's not happy, he knows where to go. On August 5th, Shanann vents to her friend Cassie that Chris can live alone if he wants to, that she refuses to live like this, where she's ignored and unloved. She says that she's not going to fight alone for a marriage that involves two people. This is the time where Shanann got her bearings and really started standing up for herself about Chris's treatment of her and his behavior in North Carolina. After having that explosive text conversation yesterday, her and Chris talk about how he can see extended family while avoiding Shanann and the girls running into his parents. She throws in there that she's having a bad experience with her pregnancy the last few days and is spotting. She didn't mention this any time before now, but she does kind of have a pattern of making things a matter of life and death when it comes to not getting attention, like when he ignored her calls and texts in earlier reports. Now, I'm not saying this to knock Shanann. We all have our demons and she's not free of hers, but she was a good friend and a great mom and that's what she needs to be remembered for. She continues going hard at Chris and sends him a quote from some guy's name that I can't pronounce, talking about how when you get married as a husband, it's your job to stand up for your family and make sure people know that there's a line that they can't cross, to always take your wife's side, that when you get married, your wife replaces your parents, siblings, and friends, and specifically talks about having to stand up to your mother when it comes to your wife. He's not responding at all because he is Chris Watts. So she continues to spiral and tells him that she doesn't know how he fell out of love with her in less than six weeks. Either that or it's been going on for a long time and she just didn't know about it. She tells him that you don't plan to have another baby with someone you're not in love with. That kids do nothing to deserve a broken family. She says that before she left, Chris couldn't keep his hands off of her and now she's having to even ask for a kiss in an airport. She says she misses his smell, him touching her when she's cooking, holding hands, snuggling, watching TV with him, etc. It's a long list and it's just really sad. Chris isn't responding, but I assume it's because he's asleep because these texts are happening pretty late at night. She sends this text out of nowhere asking if he would stay with her if they didn't have kids. Then she asks how he can sleep with their marriage crumbling right in front of them. The next day, August 6th, Chris texts Shanann that he doesn't want to lose the kids, and then he deletes it. She tells him that he needs to step out of his comfort zone of always seeking his parents' approval and protect his family, and he says that he knows he needs to do that. On the 7th, Shanann tells her friend Addie that Chris said he was scared to death about this baby and that he just wants the two kids that they have. 
Addie, trying to be a good friend, tells her he's just scared and that everything will be okay once the baby's born. But Shanann insists that Chris has changed, that she doesn't know who he is. She even tells Addie that she doesn't feel safe around him after what he said about their baby. Chris and Shanann find out the sex of their baby the next day and have a gender reveal party scheduled for their friends and family on August 19th of 2018. But on August 8th, Shanann texts her friends to hold off on throwing the party because the energy just wasn't right between her and Chris. Taylor was the one throwing the gender reveal party and Shanann told her that Chris had just dropped the bomb that he doesn't think that they're compatible anymore. They were in a particularly rough spot that day, and Shanann accuses Chris of using her body as an incubator just to have a boy, and tells Chris that he doesn't love her. Be right back. Chris needs to go put some naked pictures of his side piece in his calculator. Okay, we're back. While Shanann and Chris are arguing, Kessinger is Googling, marrying your mistress. Chris and Shanann start spiraling again late that night. She wants Chris to hold her after telling her that he doesn't want the baby growing inside of her. She wants him to make her feel safe, which is literally the last thing on his mind. She asks him how many times she's going to have to ask him to hold her and then asks him if he hates her that much. Remember that this is all via text and they're literally in the same house. Lord, save us all. Shanann starts digging in on the cheating and says something's going on that he won't tell her about. All of this falling asleep at 7 or 8 o'clock is crap. Before Chris heads to work the next day, she tells him not to come home unless he could tell her the truth about what the hell is wrong. Shanann's friend Sarah checks in on her to see if things are getting any better and Shanann says no. That Chris doesn't want the baby and that she tried to have sex with him to see if it would help, but that he rejected her. Shanann says that she's never cried more in her life. Ladies, don't try to have sex to fix a problem. Sex does not fix problems. Don't let some asshole think that he can treat you like garbage and still get some. to Sarah. Sarah asked if Shanann thinks Chris is having an affair, and Shanann said that he said he's not, but she doesn't know what else would make him do a complete 360, and I think she means 180, but whatever, we petty. While Shanann is having this conversation with Sarah about how Chris doesn't want the baby and would agree to abort it, Chris is texting with his friend Josh about how excited he is to find out the gender of his baby today. Chris is literally eight different people. Shanann tells Cassie and Nikki that Chris is refusing couples counseling now and that he told her they're not compatible and Shanann is shattered. This has come up about a million times, but it is what it is. Shanann starts Googling normal stuff like emotion-focused therapy and couples therapy. Even though they'd had a rough couple months, Shanann thought that Chris was actually coming around right before she left for her next trip to Arizona through Thrive. Out of the blue on the 9th, her friends ask if she's gone through his phone, and she says yes, that he's just been deleting a lot of texts between him and his dad. Now her tone with her friends totally changes, and she starts asking them if they can watch the girls the weekend of August 17th, because her and Chris were going to go to a resort in Aspen to rekindle their love for one another. Shanann booked the tickets as soon as she got Chris's approval. Even her friends are like, uh, what? You're going to Aspen. With Chris, the guy who just told you he wanted a separation and you to abort your baby. And the answer was yes. 
This trip was intended to be their refresh. Crystal Chinan, I don't know where my head is at. I will fix it though. Later that same day, Chris deleted his Facebook with no warning at all. He didn't tell Shanann or his friends. They just noticed he wasn't on there anymore. Prior to doing this, he regularly posted updates about his wife and the girls. Shanann texted him asking where it went and he didn't respond. At all. Ever. He never even acknowledged it. People don't just delete their Facebooks without a word. Something shady is always going on when this happens. Someone's trying to hide something from someone. Chris Googles the price for an Audi Q7, which by the way is $53,000. This is a guy whose wife just had to pull $10,000 from his 401k just to catch up in their mortgage. And whose wife just spent an assload of money on a weekend resort trip to Aspen. They couldn't afford any of this. They could barely afford to Google it. On Friday, August 10th, Three days before the murders, Chris is eavesdropping on two co-workers when he hears them mention a leak at Survey 319, and Chris quickly offers to go there first thing Monday morning to take a look at it. One of the men talking about the leak offers to come with Chris, and Chris tells him not to worry about it, that there's no sense in both of them going. On the same day in another world, Shanann contacts her realtor, Anne, and says that her and Chris are thinking about moving and that she'd be back in town Sunday night, and they could talk in more detail about it after that. A lot of her and Chris's previous issues had been related to finances, and their mortgage being $2,700 a month certainly didn't help. I think part of Shanann doing this was her taking the first step towards a separation, but in the same breath, I think it was also a last-ditch effort by her to maybe get him to stay if they could just downsize like he had wanted to. I'm also going to throw this in for fun. Chris and Shanann are having real-life problems, and Kessinger is on Google asking how to prepare for anal sex and the anal sex guide. Okay, girl. Clearly, there's some communication going on between Chris and Kessinger that we just don't know about, but it involves weddings and butt sex. On August 11th, Chris tells Shanann, who's in Arizona at the time and honestly everyone else that he talks to, that he's going to a Colorado Rockies game with some guys from work. He says he won the tickets in a raffle, he hires a babysitter, takes notes about how the game actually goes, and even makes up some seats that he was sitting at. But he wasn't at the Rockies game. He was out to dinner with Kessinger at the Lazy Dog. Chris had always used a prepaid visa or gift cards to hide his dating transactions from Shanann, but this time he didn't. He pulled out his regular debit card and paid for their dinner, knowing Shanann would see the charge. But this time, he just didn't care. Shanann had a sixth sense, though, and Googled when the Rockies game was going to be over. She knew he wasn't there. She had seen the charge from the lazy dog, and the amount just didn't make any sense. Kessinger winds up Googling Chris and Shanann again and their address. Shanann ends the night googling normal shit like Dead Sea Scrolls, which Chris and Kessinger had actually recently talked about. Seriously, how often can Dead Sea Scrolls naturally come up in conversation? On Sunday, August 12th, Chris texted his boss to let him know that he was going to Survey 319 first thing the next morning. His boss noted that it was weird of him to text on a Sunday but didn't think anything of it. Chris's boss said he barely knew Chris, but even he was aware that they were having marital issues. Actually, most of the men he worked with knew about it to some extent, but the women at work knew nothing. In fact, the women seemed to love him. One even called him the Silver Fox. Later that same day on August 12th, Chris's friends Jeremy and Jennifer asked if him and Shanann needed a crib, and Chris said 
No. Bella and Cece were in big girl beds. Had they kept their cribs for this long, or did Chris already know that they weren't going to need one? That night, Chris and Kessinger talk on the phone for two hours between 9pm and 11pm. She says she doesn't remember what they were talking about, and I call bullshit on that. But she says she remembered hearing a TV in the background, so she knew he wasn't in the basement like he usually is. Chris often slept down there when he and Shanann weren't getting along. And Kessinger mentioned that she didn't understand why he was watching TV so late. It was literally like 11 o'clock. She said she assumed he was waiting up for Shanann, and that makes absolutely no sense to me since she's under the impression that they're separated and whatnot, but whatever. Kessinger is obsessively over-observant about Chris's surroundings during the phone call, but can't remember what they talked about for two hours, just hours before Chris went on a homicidal rampage. Shanann was scheduled to come home around 11pm when Chris was still on the phone with his lover, but her flights were delayed. She checked into switching her flight, but it was going to cost an extra $300, so she just decided to wait it out. On August 13th, the day Shanann, Bella, Cece, and baby Nico were murdered, Kessinger deleted all traces of Chris from her phone. There were no calls, no messages, no photos, no videos, not so much as a phone contact for him. It is as if he never existed in her world. The woman who had been keeping tabs on him for eight months now, who wants everyone to believe she's only been dating for two months, has gone on vacation with Chris, talked about marriage, etc., 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 deleted all traces of her homicidal boyfriend. It was the 13th. No one suspected anything on the 13th, at least not out loud. So why would she delete the entire history of a relationship with a man who believes his wife just finally up and left and took the kids with her? My guess is because she knew that's not what happened. And that's where I leave you today. Next week, we're going to talk about Chris's second confession, where he took a plea deal to avoid the death penalty, and we'll see whether we believe him or not. If you love the podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. If you get true crime fever in between episodes, be sure to check out my Instagram, where I do many cases every Thursday at the Heather Ashley. Last week, we covered the Brooke Skylar Richardson case, and it was a doozy. Until then, we out.